0: Welcome back to the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Joy Pullman, the executive editor here, and I am delighted to bring to the program today uh, Lila Lawler. She is the uh, proprietress of the blog Like Mother, Like Daughter, and she is the author of a giant compendium um, called the Summa Domestica that's supposed to be out on Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th here, hoping supply chain issues go well. So Lila, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me so uh i I don't know if i mentioned this you know my email trying to get you to come on the show but um you know so i'm a mom i have as as our readers know i have six kids the oldest is 11 years old so while i've been basically your blog has been my up all night nursing the baby (laughs) get me through this um thing for many 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 years so i'm a secret admirer of your your work for for moms and women um, so I, w- I just want to hear about your your new book. I, th- I, I looked at, you know, the table of contents and the it looks like it has a lot of it has come from your years of blogging that you've been writing about um, these issues. So, um, so go ahead and you know, just start talking about why you write things like, you know, how to keep a sick child warm, how to nurse a baby, you know, uh, decorations to put up for you know, various holidays. What what do you you know, why is the world calling for this book right now?
1: Well, so yes, the book is um, new in the sense that it's just coming out, but it's old in the sense that it is really the compendium of everything I've been writing about for more than a decade. And um, you know, honestly, I started the blog. My my daughter Rosie started it um, to kind of connect all of us, uh, my granddaughters, and me, and even my mother. To just you know, we like to do things like refinish furniture and go to the thrift store and so on. So we wanted to sort of share those things with each other and felt like it would be fun if, I mean, at that time, you know, people were starting blogs and you might be happy if you had, you know, 10 readers. And so that was fun and felt like we could include other people if they wanted to come along for our incessant chit chat about such things. But she uh, Rosie happily um, turned the blog over to me more or less um, when I said to her, you know, I just really feel the need to write about certain things because when I look at blogs written by young mothers and the people who are interacting with them, I sense a a, a desire to know more about just the details of keeping a home and raising children. And I also sense a little bit of reinventing the wheel. And I myself reinvented the wheel because some people think because I write about all these things that I come f- you know, we talk about the collective memory on the blog yeah, and yeah. maintaining the collective memory. And they think, Oh, she comes from this, you know, vast store of knowledge. And this is not true. I was raised, um, my parents were divorced. I was raised in a very progressive place. Um, I was an ultra feminist. I was all set to have a career and 2.0 children when I was good and ready and all those things, um, very much, uh, grew up in a, you know, the cutting edge of all the changes. And, um, so You know I felt I had reinvented the wheel when I chucked all that and wanted to have a family get married very young and have a family and which was totally countercultural. I mean people always act as if oh you know half a generation ago that's what people were doing not at all when I was a young um when I was a teenager that thought I mean I knew my husband actually when I was in uh, high school and um he's Ten years older than I am, we met and were friends in a group of friends. And um, you know, I went to college, and people, everybody in my very elite college, would say to me, "Just live with him. Just live with him." That the mm-hmm. idea that you would marry the person you love was yeah. not acceptable because you had to make something of yourself. So, so just to put that in context, that writing about all these things. You know, was something a response that I had to what I was seeing of another generation starting their mm-hmm. families or even a third generation starting their families and being um, clueless as to what their choices were going to mean 10 years down the road, 20 yes. years down the road. And I mean, already in my time, there, there were no role models. these mm-hmm. um, parents were divorced my parents were divorced. There was nowhere to turn. You know, people say, seek out an older mentor. There was not an older mentor for me at all. And, um, and the, um, when I, my kids were a little, you know, got to be school age, I realized I wanted to homeschool them. And then, you know, it's kind of like you you start out and then people consider you the expert, and you're kind of like, well, I don't know, I just started. And then <laughs> another years down the road, I was thinking, well, now I know some things, and here's some things that you need mm-hmm. to have in place before you can homeschool. People will call me and talk to me for, you know, an hour. And I think, I'm really just dumping all this stuff on them. I should just write it down. So Mm -hmm. that's how the blog started, was me piece by piece trying to write down the little things of how to run your home so that you could fulfill this this desire and really duty of educating your children. And that obviously encompasses pretty much everything. So my blog is really about everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It's about everything. But I I think I would say it's about everything that, you know, women kind of naturally care about. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you I mean, everything that you're saying here about the absolute. um, I just feel like our culture has it's it's a wasteland. And in the sense that you mentioned, you know, like nobody had has any handholds to grab onto for for figuring out even. I mean, so one thing I was thinking about, you know, so I, w- I was prepping dinner before our conversation, you know, to make sure that it was on time after we're done. And so I'm thinking about what we're going to, you know, what we're going to talk about. And one of them just was, you know, as a young mom, nobody ever tells you or prepares you for the fact that the babies just really, really, really want you. Yeah. You know, so you you hear these messages. Oh, you know, that's kind of like they're just a little unit. You just package them up and hand them off to someone else and
2: you go back. Right. to your
0: adult life. It's not like that.
1: It's new. Not- It's not like that. Um, And it's also not like you can just stop and pick up dinner when, so if you decide that you're serious about, I do want to be there for my baby. I do want to be there for my children. Well, I mean, to get to talk about the nitty gritty of it, you're going to have to live on one income and Mm -hmm you can't afford to have, to be picking up dinner. That's not going to work. You got to make yeah. it. And you got to make it in a, in a way that makes you, you become the manager instead of the consumer, you become the manager. How mm-hmm. do you do that? I mean, I remember when I had three little children, one day it dawned on me, I have to have dinner ready. I cannot be floundering around because they're hungry. And like you said, like, the time that I think of as I'm going to be making dinner is the time that they really are clingy and and (laughs) whiny. Tell me about it. I don't know what to do with them. And, you know, I mean, that's almost like at this point a a cultural joke about um, the, the crazy hour, but it's true. So how do you, as a thinking person, how do you approach this? Do you just say, oh, well, I'll just struggle through until these years are over and then we'll regain our sanity and go back to takeout. Or do you say, I have a mind. I'll figure this out. I'll find a way to make it so that this time goes smoothly. And I even enjoy it. And I even enjoy my children. Um, we enjoy each other's company. And Imagine that. <laughs> then my husband comes home and he's, not facing a crazy person who's literally hurling a child at him, but, you know, but hopefully- I'm laughing because I've done that. <laughs> I, mean, I look back and I think, I was really not a nice person.
0: (laughs) Just take this baby because I cannot stand it anymore. That's not a greeting. I tend to do that more, you know, like three, four a.m. when I, you know, it's been all night, multiple nights, and I'm like, I'm, I cannot.
2: (laughs) someone save this
0: child, and it ain't going to be me anymore.
1: (laughs) And and you know, I think guys are great. I think most. 99% 99% of the husbands are great and helpful and want their wives to be happy. They're willing to pitch in. They, I think they even gird themselves to come home and say, yeah, she's kind of not going to be the nicest at that moment. And then, you know, I kind of feel like, well, having lived through that to kind of say, maybe that's not the best thing to, maybe we both should be trying to be good to each other and maybe, me being good is to actually take responsibility for these duties like if he's going to go as i have a friend who says um he's funding the bliss.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> i love that. I, I mean great. i know guys who are you know do, doing exactly that and you're like that's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome it's wonderful they're funding the you missed, bliss. You just made you know five people including you know plus yourself you know supremely happy for decades of their life probably the rest you mm-hmm. know their whole lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And And it's beautiful. And actually, um, if we can step out of this uh, terrible box that we've gotten ourselves into, which is kind of a Hobbesian um, war of all against all. um, (laughs) you know, he's kind of the enemy. Instead of that, we're cooperating with each other and complimenting each other for the purpose of this wonderful enterprise, of forming a family and and, uh, and building something beautiful. Um, We're kind of at each other's, we're kind of resenting each other. And I'm resenting the fact that I'm here with these children that after all, this is what I wanted. I did sign up for it. So why am I so bitter? I don't know. So just to Mm -hmm. say, maybe the reason is, that you don't actually know what to do. And maybe you just need some knowledge and and to become competent. And I always like to say that there's kind of these two forces opposing each other and they're both kind of destructive. And one is the giving into the sense that yes, I don't actually know how to do any of the, the things that are entailed with building a family and I don't care and it's not something i should want to do because society tells me that it's drudgery etc etc and or on the other hand the perfection of the monetized world that presents Mm. a a false view of what it should be Mm -hmm. and we don't see the props behind the picture and we don't see the teamwork and the you know the crew that's making it happen. So we have the perfection and we have on the one hand and then we have the um total washing our hands of it on the other hand. Well what if there is a third way? And the third way is to become competent, to take responsibility and to realize that in this way we can live out our complementarity in this beautiful adventure of marriage and raising a family. And to me that's kind of what I'm here for.
2: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> So if you're old enough, you'll remember how back in the early 2000s, BlackBerrys just revolutionized the way we communicate. But it wasn't long before Steve Jobs and Apple, of course, thought they could outperform them with a phone of their own. In an all-new season of Business Wars, you'll hear about how BlackBerrys and iPhones battled for their shares of the emerging mobile phone market. It seems standard now, but BlackBerry's ability to allow users to text and send emails was a major game-changer at the time. They really were the first mobile devices that could sync work emails to a phone, so for the first time people weren't chained to their desks. So as the gold standard, every power player from DC to New York City to LA had a Blackberry but just when they thought they had the market cornered in 2007, Apple came in and launched the iPhone. On Business Wars, iPhone versus Blackberry, you'll hear how Blackberry, the phone favored by presidents, Wall Street, and top government officials spurred Apple to push the envelope by developing technology that would usher in the future of phones, putting the power of smartphones in the pockets of billions worldwide. This is a fascinating story. There's so much relevance to today when we look back and see how this battle developed. I can't recommend it enough. Listen to the Business Wars iPhone versus Blackberry podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus and the Wondery app. We're happy to be sponsored today by the Novus Society at Donors Trust, a program for aspiring philanthropists that can help you get started as a young giver and connect you to like-minded peers. So with the holidays around the corner, you are likely starting to reflect on all you've achieved this year, and even maybe those things that slipped through the cracks. As you begin this period of reflection, consider taking another look at what you're doing with your charitable giving. Do you normally wait until the end of the year and frantically punch in credit card numbers before the ball drops? Maybe you missed your year-end giving entirely. That is, until New Year's resolutions are all anyone is talking about and you vow that this year you will make time for giving. If that sounds like you, you should talk to the folks at the Novus Society at Donors Trust. Novus Society is a program for young philanthropists under 40 to dip their feet into strategic, charitable giving so their gifts can make a larger impact all while making things easier and simpler. With Nova Society, you get a team of trusted philanthropic advisors to help you learn how to develop your giving goals and strategy for long-term success. A community of peers who share your principles, as well as access to the fastest growing giving tool on the market, a donor-advised fund. Donor-advised funds can help you simplify your giving as well as maximize your tax advantage. Make giving a priority this year by letting Novus Society at Donors Trust help you level up your charitable goals. Go to novussocietyorg federalist. That's novussocietyorg federalist to see how Novus Society can help you grow your impact as a young philanthropist.
0: And there's there's a lot of things, and especially kind of the opening, you know, the reason that you gave for writing your blog and then turning into a book. So I mean, there's several things I kind of wanted to pull out. So I think we'll we'll just go in this order. So for example, you mentioned. what I think about and read and I don't have a lot of time for browsing you know anymore I usually tend to do all that kind of time-wasting thing right after a baby's born because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know I'm up at all hours and I can't do anything productive you know so I just right. you know veg out and, and read whatever but but the point so but there one thing that I, I really has has kept me coming back to your blog over the years for mothering advice um, because I haven't I, you know I'm one of those people who also you know grew up feminist I was. I didn't want any kids. I bargained, you know, with my husband to have one or maybe two in order to get him to marry me because <laughs> I was <laughs> in love with him, right? Um, you know. So and um, and that's. That, I guess I'll, I'll ask you next. You know, kind of how you got from that yourself into being. You know, you're. You know, you have. I, I forget how many children. A, a passel of children. A bunch children, of grandchildren. Yeah, yeah seven children, kids, you know? sixteen
1: grandchildren.
0: Yeah. Yep. And. Um, you know, so how you got from, you know, that you so that I'll ask you next, but first I, like, one of the things that really distinguished, um, your blog for me from that of like the other mommy bloggers was that they, they would, you know, they were so young. It's kind of right. like there was all this peer talking to each other and kind of just, there wasn't, there's so much more weight to the things you're saying. Cause you can tell that you've had experience. And like you said, you decided you want to be competent at this thing. Uh, you know, and as opposed to kind of soothing how badly you felt about how incompetent you were, which is a lot of, you know, what kind of 20, 30, you know, your old women tend to
1: do. And I lived through all that. Like, I lived through all the stages, you know, of like, it doesn't matter. Who cares? And then realizing, no, actually, I, I really do need to do these things. They're actually my responsibility. So I got to figure out how to do them. No reflection on my mom. She knew how to do everything, but, um, but, you know, she didn't. I just really was sucked into that world of, um, that it's not really something that is worthy of me to, mm-hmm. to deal with these things. But, and also kind of like, she'll come and deal with it. <laughs> I feel like a lot of women are kind of like, my mom will come and deal with it. And sometimes they do. And sometimes you say wake up one morning and you say, she lives 500 miles away. <laughs> I totally need to deal with her myself. And, um, and, and that's just a mature woman. It's my turn. Yeah, my turn. And that's a maturing process. And honestly, I did get married when I was very young. I was 19. Um, I was 20 when I had my first child. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm sure God had his reasons for allowing all this. And I'm very grateful for my children. I wouldn't have in any other way. I kind of wish I did know, had known more at the time, yeah. but, um, but then maybe I couldn't relate to people. Um, feeling quite so helpless as i can having you know really lived through it but um but yeah like to just say i have lived through it all and i'm also here to say that some of the things that sound good are promoted by experts who are beholden to a worldview that is not compatible with the Christian worldview, it's not Mm -hmm. compatible with natural law, it is part of a rather subversive um, strain that permeate, that's permeating our society. And so a lot of the advice that parents get, and a lot of the advice that women get about how to relate to their husbands, is destructive and so maybe maybe
0: an example you know something that's really popular that go ahead
1: yeah so an example would be so you know there might be some mommy blogger who is DIYing things and crafting or whatever and that's great and I'm all for creativity I love it and that's a big part of my what I do too but then people will say well how do you do that with little children and so really because they actually are are not necessarily able to express what they really think or do. They might parrot something that is said, you know, in the out there in the expert world, the world of child advice. And they might just say, oh, you know, it's we just do whatever. And I don't discipline my children because we live a natural life. And, you know, all of these things. And, you know, so now this woman is who's asked the question is going away feeling like, well, here's this perfect looking world on Instagram or whatever, um, and now I'm gonna take her advice and not really worry about disciplining my children um, or think even sometimes it's okay to let them watch videos for hours while I get something done or some of these other things <clears throat> and um, and for me just to say it kind of like
0: excuse your absence you really?
1: excuse your absence when you excuse your lack of of willingness to grapple with the fact that you have to train your children in certain ways. You do have to put aside what you're doing um, at times, even though it's fulfilling and creative, because you have to sort out what the children are doing. And when they're very young, you have to establish a certain order so that when they're older, they actually pass that order down to the next children, to their younger siblings. Amen. So, it's so true. It's so <laughs> true. Well, anyway, you have yeah. to I mean, so we, work to start with. And I yeah. still to this day get emails from moms saying, tell me what to do because I have five children. The youngest mm-hmm. is two. I feel like I never get to any creative stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I have to say, listen, you have a two-year-old. You're just going to have to like, live through this stage. Just remember that two-year-olds are somewhat chaotic. And if you just put in the effort and especially remind your older children of what you've taught them and so on in six months, you will find that things are easier, but you cannot say, oh gosh, I've been at this for 10 years. It should all be fine now. And I should not experience um, toddler years. Well, nope. Unfortunately, you <laughs> know, the years are what they are. And it is easier if you have an 11-year-old, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's easier by far than when you just had, a, you know, a 3-year-old and a 1-year-old. It's so I much easier. And like I always say if you just hang in there, you're mm-hmm. not going to believe how creative you can be. <laughs> <laughs> but the work still has to be put in there. Or I'll see somebody saying, you know, oh, we, you know, we just we just do whatever comes naturally and I don't discipline my children. Um, We don't say no or we never spank or we never do this or we never do that. And I think, well, that depends on the child. And maybe if you have two little girls, maybe that advice works for you for a while. But if you have five little boys, (laughs) it might be different. I remember having a, a, a friend, um, say to me something about she felt so bad with her she went with her two little boys to visit a friend who had two girls and the girls the friend was giving her all this advice about oh we just didn't oh, get what she said and we just this and that and I'm kind of like don't listen to her she's so lovely lady, but she just has two nice little girls and that is just different and totally yeah <laughs> those kinds of things I was kind of like I need to be here to say um, mm. You, know, you got to set down some rules. You got to, or, or you know, oh, I don't worry about dressing them for cold weather. I gotta, I gotta put in my oar. You gotta get up. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, so it's kind of, kind of in my personality to just be someone who tells people what to do. So blogging <laughs> is actually a good outlet for me and relieves the pressure on my friends. I think. <laughs>
0: So then, so let me ask you. So the next one then is, you know, so yeah, so I uh, maybe I had an inkling of this with a bit of, you know, if, if you got married young, you know, and then they had the baby right away, that kind of put you on the path to, you know, coming out of all of the cultural messages that really, like you said, they're destructive to your parenting, they're destructive to your marriage, and then people can't figure out this all sounds so good, and I'm doing it, and my life is a wreck, and I'm not happy. So tell me, you know, how that transformation process for you, young feminist, smart, I, you know. You know, high level college, and then moving into, you know, Catholic mom blogger with seven kids who says, try to live on one income, you know, <laughs> and because then you'll be happy that way. And here's how to practically manage like that's that's a big, that's a big shift. How, yeah. you know, something. And, and if people are, you know, sitting there, well, I'll ask that that question. Yeah,
1: so, I mean, it really was 25 years in between those mm. two points yeah. and yeah. 25 years of loneliness at times, mm.
2: 25
1: years of, you know, um, struggling with figuring out about not wanting to send my children to school and what to do about that. So all of those learning experiences. So right away, you know, I mean, I was in college. I had just, we had gotten married. Cause I just, you know, this guy is 10 years older than me. I do want to marry him. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to wait because he's going to find somebody else. So, yes. so, you know, so we got married and I was still in college and then they asked me to declare a major. And I was kind of like, well, I just want to have babies. So, we agreed that that would be the thing to do. I have always, although I always, you know, achieved in school and was a bookish person and thought of myself as definitely on a career path, I always, always wanted to have children. And I did not, I was not Catholic, so I did not know. I was definitely raised in a, um, milieu of contraception and even abortion and um feminism and everything and i did not know that it was possible just to live in a way where you just welcomed babies i just didn't know about that (laughs) but the more i found out the more i did want to live that way so you know we got married and um and realized no we didn't want that life where we controlled everything, we really did want to have children, and um, so we started, you know, and thank god we did have a child. I think a lot of people think that that's mm-hmm. a that turn on and off. And I'm not now that I'm, you know, 61 years old and have had many, many friends and know many, many people who have lived their lives. I realize that is not true, and that yeah, are kidding themselves if they think that you just choose to have children. You might choose to be open to children, but it's God who sends the children. So, you know, starting the family and and I realized that this is a calling and this is what I, I never had the desire to have any kind of job. Um, once I was married, I just, it just did not appeal. It does not appeal to me to answer to anyone else. Um, my husband is very nice and lets me do it. <laughs> so I'm like, frankly, that's how I like it. So I always, always
0: you know, my
1: husband lets me
0: do whatever I want.
1: This
2: is awesome.
1: <laughs> it's so great. I really, you know, I think like choose a guy who, yeah,
0: lets you do whatever you want to do. So um, but okay, then- I, that was actually something that really was kind of I mean, I don't know where, again, where you get this idea otherwise, but it was illuminating to me to say, he wants me to be happy, really? You know, you think, oh, he's some, you know, because you're, you know, told, oh, men are evil. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're, what what is that, toxic, you know, and all, you know, Must blah, blah, blah. Really they right. want to keep you down and beat you and, and all this stuff. And it's like, my husband just wants me to be happy. <laughs> Genuinely. <They wanted laughs> that was a revelation. Me. It is
1: <laughs> a revelation. And they want you so much to be happy. that mm-hmm. you say, what will make me happy is to go and get this job and work and put the children in daycare. Then he will do that. Yeah. And I would say 98% of the men will do that. And, and, um, if you say, I just want to have every moment of their day scheduled so that I can be free to do X, Y, and Z, he will go along with that. Mm -hmm. And really the woman holds the, the keys. She holds the power because I, you know, most men do just want their wives to be happy. And if actually she wants, her man to be happy then she has to rethink some of that because what he really wants in the end is a home and if you're out you know gallivanting around and making money and all of that and being the main point being that you are um, beholden to someone else for your time um, and you base your life on two incomes then in the end he may not have the peaceful home that he really wants. And so sometimes you have to just say, do I want him to be as happy as he wants me to be? But um, in any case, for me, you know, then I had the challenge of, so we do have, I mean, he's a great provider and, you know, but especially where we lived, we have to be careful. And I have to be careful about how I spend money. I have to be a good manager. And that for me was a completely new and un- heard of idea, and so I had to just figure that out myself. And um, so we just lived to those years, and and then realizing we didn't want to. He always wanted to homeschool the children. I was not interested in that. I thought that <laughs> <laughs> didn't fit with my ideas. But then when um, our children did start to go to school, I realized it was not going to help them flourish. And then, of course, we were also aware, and this is, I'm talking about the A's, that we were aware that there were things going on in schools that we did not agree mm-hmm. with. And that in order to change them, there would require so much effort and energy that it would entail actually sacrificing our children's yeah. um, time of childhood mm-hmm. and, and I'm right about that because here we are, you know, 40 years later and all those problems are deeply entrenched. And I'm very grateful that we did not uh, waste their childhoods trying to figure that out because, and I always say to parents, maybe it will change, but do not sacrifice your children to that effort because you only have their childhood and you've got to do what you have to do to educate them properly. So not to say I don't feel that You know, I was necessarily great at it, but we did what we could. And so just the process of figuring out, and very few people homeschooled their children, Mm -hmm. you know, early 90s. So in my town, I think I was the only one until I convinced this other lady to do it So, you know, in a sense, I really did have to figure everything out. Keep in mind, the Internet was not a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, it was a question of get ordering books, getting books out of the library, you know, figuring things out totally on your own. So I did kind of feel like having gone through all that, maybe it would be helpful to, um, some people to know what the process was and what the criteria were that I developed and just thoughts that I have about education, uh, having kind of been around that block. And again, Kind of putting my thoughts in one place against that day when I get that phone call. Of, could you talk to my friend because she wants to homeschool? Yeah, she just here's a bunch movies. of links.
0: <laughs> it's too much for that poor girl. Just have her read the blog. So, <laughs> well, so you, I, I, I also wanted to talk about homeschooling because obviously a lot more people doing it now, thrown into it, considering it. Right. And I, I mean, I have the suspicion we don't know the future, but one of the hopeful potentials for the near future could be that you Know as the COVID kind of consequences that have been hidden and held back really start to come to light over the next decade, um, in m- many ways, there could be many more people, you know, reconsidering where their kids are going to school and how they're being educated. So, with that kind of in the air, I, I one of the things that I really loved about your some of your guidance about education, which by the way, there's a section in your book about this as well. I mean, it's um, whole really, highly, highly is about that, the whole volume is about that, highly recommended. Um, one of the, So what I had to appreciate is, um, I mean, so uh, I grew up homeschooling, homeschool graduate. My children are in a small classical Christian school, um, you know, but, you know, I've, I've taught, you know, classes, a lot of experience with it. And what... I see a lot of unrealistic expectations from both ends of the spectrum on homeschooling. There's the people who say basically like my kids are watching TV or we're unschooling and they basically do nothing and it's a whole wreck and their kids never learn anything. And then there's the people who basically want to take the school environment, the textbooky sort of stuff and bring it in the home. And it's also too much and it doesn't fit the home environment. So you, you have been so good at, you know, helping people really triangulate for you, I mean, you started out, this is the first thing I always tell people is like, are your kids disciplined? Can they read a book and sit still, you know? So can you, you know, why don't you just give kind of your, if someone's thinking about this or doing it, some of those criteria you're talking about for kind of assessing where you, you know, where your child's are and what is the appropriate thing to be doing with them based on their personal needs um, rather than, you know, somebody else, you know, somebody else, you know, some kids are disciplined and, and thoughtful and will sit still for hours at a time. Some kids are great kids, but they won't sit still for hours at a time. Still other kids need to learn how to sit still for at least a little bit, you know, so they can get right. the learning done. So yeah, yeah, go ahead.
1: So all of that to me comes down to um, a couple of things. One is seeing that you, Um, your marriage is bringing you the grace, um, to educate your children, marriage and the procreation of children is bound up inextricably with educating children. And so you're not going to have a responsibility that you don't have, are not going to be given the wherewithal to fulfill. So I think people first really need to have confidence about that. And part of the issue is because we have an expertocracy, (laughs) we Mm -hmm. think that every every single thing has to be outsourced to experts. And we fail to realize that we can just use our common sense and Mm -hmm. we can rely on and have confidence in the fact that um, by the virtue of being married, we have the ability to educate our children. So it's kind of like dig down, dig deep, pray, and grab hold of those resources that are, I would say, supernatural resources to get this job done. Then I would say that the most important thing for children is the environment that they have. So a huge amount of what goes into educating children is just putting the effort and the work into the environment and then what do i mean by environment so a lot of times i the first thing i say to somebody who says i want to homeschool is do you know what is for supper (laughs) and i'll tell you why because first of all you gotta know what's for supper because supper is coming and they're going to be hungry (laughs) and if you're frantically every single day grappling with this question you just have your priorities mixed up, you have your efforts put in the wrong place. Like you can think about it beforehand. And then that part of it takes care of itself because you've made a plan versus every single day you're frantic and because people need to be fed. And yeah, your mom isn't coming to feed them. If she is, that's great, take advantage of it. But (laughs) but if not, like most, most of us, you know, you gotta figure it out. And the other reason is that the family has a very beautiful and important um, expression of its life together, which is sitting down at the dinner table. And no matter how simple or complex that meal is, um, it's there and they it gives them the opportunity to enjoy each other's company and to talk and to converse and for the children to have a chance to converse with their father, to hear their father conversing with their mother, to have occasional guests, people coming through, hospitality, um, friends, uh, you know, their children's friends, see how the parents interact with them. Dinner time is the probably the most fruitful Moment for education that the family has, so when you know what's for dinner you're kind of you're kind of creating the the environment that is going to be the best for your children and then when things are peaceful because you've thought these things through the main thing being what's for dinner, um, then you have time to pray and you can pray about each child and you can think, What does this child really need from me this year?' You know, this day, this week, and um, and who is he really, and what is his personality, and what can I do? And you realize that children need to build habits; they need to have virtues of just, um, yeah, like you said, you know, being able to sit at a table is huge. Well, where do they learn that? They learn that at at by sitting at the table three times a day um, for their meals and just to everyday life, daily life, and. Daily life is what's going to give us the ability to achieve these goals that we have and even to know how to achieve them. And so it's the order of the daily life that brings the wonder of the children being able to develop and to come to be who they are able to be. And that's family life. And um, I feel like a lot of what I try to do, what I'm called to do with all of this work is just to offer women the tools to say, like, I can do this. If she could do it, I can do it. Because <laughs> she doesn't seem to be that great at it. But she got managed to get through it somehow. And, and those tools will help to sort out all these issues of, yeah, what kind of curriculum am I gonna use Well, no one can really tell you what kind of curriculum they can offer you a lot of things. And uh, you have to keep in mind that those offerings necessarily are going to seem overwhelming because it's the business of that person, that company to offer you, you know, the mostest. And that does not mean that you necessarily have to take it all. It just means that it's there and when you need it it'll be there. And that's a great provision I mean, thank goodness, it's it's wonderful, but you have to be discerning. And so it's more like you're gonna, I recently, um, I did have a post about this because a lady just asked me about this. You got to think of it as like Lowe's. You go into Lowe's and yes, sometimes you are, you know, the big Home Depot or whatever, you are inspired by what you see there, but you would be pretty overwhelmed if you went in there and thought, I need to buy one of everything in here. That's not how it works. The thing is, you need a plan and you need to say, Mm -hmm. I need to go there because I'm building this particular thing and I will get what I need there. They offer you everything, but you are going to be the one who decides because you're going to have confidence in what you're trying to achieve. And um, sometimes they don't have what you need, too, because they're trying to basically appeal to everyone. So sometimes you're going to have to go get what you need at a different kind of store. And sometimes there just won't be what you need. And so you just have to say, well, God understands the situation and it's going to be okay because I have the grace to raise my children and to educate them.
0: I could probably ask you questions for a really long time. But before I let you go, I did want to talk to you about um, the holiday season that we're in. So you and I uh you know follow the liturgical calendar. So we're in Advent. Well, I guess there's different liturgical calendars, but ours are, is the same. So we just started Advent this past week, so that's kind of the preparation season for Christmas, and then, then we have 12 days of Christmas. And what you know, what would you say are kind of hallmarks of things that you've accumulated over the years in developing your family observance of these holidays, you know, what really is kind of the hallmarks that bring you joy, that bring you peace, that really say this is Advent, this is Christmas, um, you know, that you know people could think of, could consider, you know, bringing into their lives as well? So,
1: um, yes, the liturgical year is going to, is I really hope that people delve into this more and more to realize that God has given us actually um, if you want to call it a curriculum, but just a plan of how to grow in wisdom and knowledge. And this is the liturgical year. And if we follow it, we will become more wise and we will just have the the knowledge and the wisdom to to accomplish what we set out to accomplish in the manner that God wants us to, which sometimes is going to be very simple. And I think mm-hmm. it's very important, and at least it's an important part of my message to say, to be very simple and childlike and not to feel that you need to do all the things. Mm -hmm. Uh, It happens that I have my mother's birthday. um, She passed away last year, but her birthday was in December. And three of my children, the first three of my children were born in December. So for me, (laughs) I was necessarily very simple and my husband is the one who really taught me about advent and and helped me to live it um and he had a very simple approach and he just you know did it taught me by insisting on certain things and one would be not rushing into decorating everything and to have an advent um wreath and to light the candles and to have them be real candles that you light and let Burn down while you're singing and praying to have an advent calendar that um, saves the chocolate for after Christmas and just have a calendar that has pretty little sweet pictures and then maybe a little Bible verse and really let yourself live your advent and let the children live it along with you. So the emphasis should not be on a lot of didacticism and learning experiences, quote unquote, but more just simply living together, doing the preparations together for Christmas. Um, even, you know, the little decorating things that, um, when they're little, you put out all the decorations, mm-hmm. which grow over the years, I think, as memories get added. And then when they get older, they mm-hmm. start to want to take part in that. And I think it's very beautiful. It's hard for those of us who maybe are a little OCD. Um I mean, for myself. Like it's not like I come up with anything that impressive, but I do really care about how it's put together. But, you know, when you have your nine year old girl who just has her ideas of how things should be set up, that's so beautiful and, and if you can give her a little leeway, it's it's really lovely. Um and to 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 really allow the time to unfold to live along with the church, along with the church's antiphons and mm collects the prayers and to let that that anticipation grow as it grew through salvation history and then on christmas morning to experience the fulfillment of that which overflows and then is a whole season of its own so not to be in a rush to pull everything down but to let the children really uh experience it which will take days and days don't try to cram everything into the one day, you'll only be exhausted and, and um, disappointed. But done that. yeah, it's just keep, <laughs> keep it going. And if we delve into the liturgical year, we find that every season has its own little treasures and it all unfolds in this beautiful, natural way. And when we follow it and incorporate some of the things that appeal to us, that maybe are culturally something that we can relate to. You know, I think the Swedish people have their things and the Italian people have their things mm-hmm. and the Portuguese have their things. And, the, you know, people from Chile have their things. And not everybody has to do all the things. In, you know, I kind of was like, somebody would bring up a new thing in December and I would just say, I can't, I can't do one more thing. I have a birthday cake to bake. So, um you know, to be okay with that. It's it's fine to just do a few things and do them lovingly. But as you do them, you learn more about what the church has to offer. And that's so fruitful and can really, it will just make the family grow every year as we cycle through and grow more childlike. And I think that's the most important thing.
0: Let's go out on this question. It's going to be a slight change but it is related to this whole conversation which is um so we touched on kind of the shifts that are happening with kids education but I think the you know the the sort of kind of shaking that we've had over these covid seasons um, there's a lot of sorting and thinking that people are doing under the surface and rethinking their lives. And part of that is kind of the cultural script that includes um, the separation of mothers and children, the, you know, the, the treating, we you know, women like men. Um, Thinking of equality between the sexes, the sameness of the sexes—all of that's kind of affecting how we live our lives, and you know, and and uh, the decisions people are making about their work, about their education, about their homes. So, do people who are kind of on the cusp of thinking that through, chewing on it, kind of, you know, right now, maybe as you were, you know, 25 years ago, or you know, when you were starting to be a mother, you know, what would you say are besides buying your book? <laughs> but you know, what what's it, it can be really overwhelming to th- you know to as to think. Of a wholesale life change, or kind of you know shifting into a new way of being that involves money, you know it involves maybe location, very very big decisions, so you know where would what what kind of insight would you offer for where people could start with that and you know also not feel overwhelmed, like they have to get it all right or perfect, you know, right away. But, you know, they feel like they could be making at least some forward motion in making their home more more joyful, more more composed, more, you know, where people feel like they love each other and they feel safe and happy in their homes. You know, yeah, where, where could people start with that if they're kind of in the beginning of that journey like you've
1: been? Yeah, I'm really hoping that this will happen when people just have a chance to observe what is going on. And I think it starts with saying that there are some things you just don't want to do and are not going to do. And I think that, that the um, past 18 months or more has really made us think, or there's just this whole, yeah, just this process out there of that everything is going to come through our computers. And I think that if, if, parents could just say <clears throat> there's just certain things we're not going to do and we're not going to have our children's lives center on the computer just start there like people need to remember that up until this time actually two years ago if you had said children should be sitting in front of a computer people would have been absolutely adamant it is bad for children and we need to recover that and we need to say we're not going to do it. And if you, I feel like once you just say, I'm detaching from certain things, then the steps you have to take become obvious Mm -hmm. and you start to realize, yeah, I mean, as long as somebody's saying, "Oh well, you can just you can just be on the computer, you can just do it," then you're always gonna you're always gonna be attached, and you're never gonna be able to figure out anything else. But once you just say, "I'm not doing a certain thing," then suddenly you have the freedom, and you say, "Well, let me find out what I should be doing," and then you realize I could be running outside. <laughs> and honestly, like if a child spent every day outside running around. I mean, I'm not necessarily a fan of unschooling per se, but I think it comes in handy for certain <laughs> moments when you can't cope with your packaged curriculum or what have you. And certainly when you can't cope with the fact that your child is staring into a screen all day. Um, yeah, get them outside, shut the computers, um, and get some books on the shelves. And start there. And and, you know, likewise, for women to say, I mean, I am no economist, but I'm saying when I'm reading reports of um, the jobs market and people saying a whole sector of the jobs market has just disappeared. Mm -hmm. Searching for jobs like there is a part of the labor force that has disappeared. And I can't help but think it is the mothers who are saying I'm just not doing it. I have to be home with these children. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that. I haven't done any studies, but I feel like once women just say, I just have to raise these children, everything's going to fall into place. And they're going to realize, yeah, I can do it. Like if my great grandmother could raise 14 children on the prairie in a (laughs) do it, you know, whatever. And, um, and this is where we just have, to, I hope that this time is helping people to see that either we can keep on going down this route that isn't obviously not healthy. It's obviously not healthy for children to wear masks, obviously. So just say we're not doing it and then figure it out from there. And I think when you do and you just take five minutes to pray about it, God will provide the answers. I know he will. He'll just put somebody in your path. He'll show you what needs to be done. He'll open the door and your children will run outside before you have a chance to say anything about it. It will all take care of itself. And I know that that is, that is how we can get out of this. And I'm really hoping that families just come to their senses and realize this is, this is just, yeah, we just need to get back to the basics of husband, wife, children, education, live life and just do it simply, it can be done.
0: Well, Lila Marie Lawler is the proprietress of the Like Mother, Like Daughter blog. You can go to, if you just search, I don't use Google anymore. If you duck, duck, go or whatever search provider you use, um, you know, hit Sophia Institute Press, and, you know, either type her name in there or if you just actually search also Sumo Domestica, I didn't manage to get in my husband's rib at your title. So he actually studied some Aquinas in college and master and graduate work. And so he thought he said, well, that's a pretty lofty title. <laughs> well, hopefully it's, people get that. It's kind of a joke. but you know, So, folks, you can search that up. There will be a link in the description of this Um of this uh, podcast as well and so thanks for your time today i appreciate Thank it so much i appreciate it so much I
2: heard the voice a reason